Hi, welcome to the One Church Night Service podcast. We hope you find its contents a blessing. And if you have any questions or thoughts in regards to it, please feel free to get in touch with us via our social media Facebook page. Otherwise, we hope you have a blessed rest of your week. We are praying for you all and we hopefully will see you soon. So, uh, Revelation 2, starting in verse 8, goes like this. I'm going to read the whole thing. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, so first question. Who is this letter being written to? Smyrna. Smyrna. Does anyone know anything about Smyrna? (laughs) Yeah, so we know apparently according to this passage that the church in Smyrna has struggles and difficulties. But again, we do not live in Asia Minor in the first century. So when we're hearing names and places like Smyrna, Ephesus, we're we're completely lost. It'd be like you going back a couple hundred years and going up to someone in England and being like, so I'm I'm from Mandra. And they're like, cool, I have no idea what that means. So a couple of important things that we need to know about the city of Smyrna. Um, Firstly, um, it was known for two things. The city of Smyrna was known for its beauty and it was known for its loyalty to Rome. Um, So basically Smyrna was uh, this little, not little, it was this harbour city um, that was along, much like Ephesus, a major trade route. Um, And a lot of trade route, especially inland, ran through the city of Smyrna. So it was quite wealthy. Um, But also um, that wealth... Um, generated a very vibrant, cultural, artsy orientation. And, and you had beautiful architecture. Um, in fact, some people argue that uh, Smyrna was Venice before Venice was Venice. Um, in that the, the canals and the, the fronts and the building. And, and apparently, one person, um, back, not recently, but a few hundred thousand years ago, when they went and visited Smyrna said that it was a city so beautiful that it would just take your breath away. Smyrna was a beautiful city. But not only was Smyrna a beautiful city, it was a city that was more loyal to Rome than one could possibly imagine. Last week we spoke about this idea that Ephesus was quite loyal to Rome. Smyrna would have been a close second, if not at times first. And because of its really, really close ties to Rome, it was this little vibrant hub for something we call the imperial cult, um, which is something we again spoke about last week. 
And what the imperial cult was, was it was this um, politically uh, mixed religion in which um, people would approach the emperor of Rome as though he was God himself, God elect. And what the imperial cult would do is it would um, generate these societal practices that praised the emperor as Lord. Um, And one of those Uh, practices was every year you would walk into the temple, the imperial temple, and you would take a pinch of incense and you would throw it on the altar and you would say, Caesar is Lord. And then you would get this cute little certificate. It's this good job. You passed your, you're in a cult thing. Um, It was your tick of approval. And basically what that little certificate meant is it meant that If you had that certificate, you could be a part of trade guilds. You could be a part of what we call now unions. Um, So every single job in the ancient world had a union. Um, And if you were not a part of a union, normally you would not be able to work in that trade. This certificate that you would get from engaging with the imperial cult was your ticket to work. But not only was it your ticket to work, but it was your ticket to engage in a whole bunch of usual societal practices. Okay? So if you didn't have the ticket, your life would become very miserable very quickly. It was a rough time if you were not on the side of the imperial cult. But beautiful city, Venice. Okay? Does that paint a picture of what Smyrna's like? Beautiful city, money, vibrant, cultural, but entrenched. Not only with this imperial culture, but there was also quite a large Jewish audience within Smyrna who had really strong political ties. And as we know, the early church and the Jews didn't tend to get onto the same page. Um, So there was tension here, both on an imperial front and in regards to the Jews. Tracking? Breathing. Excellent. So, uh, we are riding to the church in... Someone want to smell it for me? No. Yeah, no. See, I know how to say it. Can't spell it to save my life. Alright, so, we're church in Smyrna, okay? But, following this introduction to this church in Smyrna, how does Jesus go on? What does John say, tell us that Jesus then says? Yeah. Like, like we've seen everywhere else, well, we've only done one other one, but, but like we saw in Ephesus, we get introduced to the city and then we get a bit of a call back to chapter one in which Jesus says, the word... Uh, uh, sorry, um, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, he's just doing the same thing like he did earlier. But I, I think, and, and this isn't just my thought process, but the thought process of a, of a lot of smart people that have come before me and will probably come after me has said that it is not a coincidence that of all the phrases that John could have reached into chapter 1 or that Jesus could have sort of re-brought up from chapter 1, that he used this one here. What we know is that the church in Smyrna is facing persecution. They are are struggling. 
And for some of them, this persecution isn't just a, oh man, I had to quit my job. This is death. Like, like if you can't work, you can't eat. And not only that, but some of them not only couldn't eat, but they were being dragged out to the streets and thrown in prison, like we read and we're going to talk about a little bit later. And I think that this particular use of this callback is trying to remind the church, hey, don't forget that ultimately, even in your situation, God is sovereign. Christ is in control. That he is the one that was at the beginning. He will be the one at the end. And at the end of the day, your life and destiny is found in him. Because even if you do die, you believe and are bound to the one who defeated death itself. He's already feeding on these images. He's the first and the last. He is in control. And no matter what happens to you, Smyrna, you are safe in him, even if death does come knocking. To us in the church in the West, we're like, oh man, death in church? Whoa, that, that doesn't sound right. But this was a reality to them, like a real reality to them. Um, so first and the last um, is the description there. Um, I spelt first wrong, I know. Um, okay, so he has the address to the Smyrnans. He does this description of Christ, the first and the last. And then following that, what does he give? What does he say? What does Jesus say? If you get really stuck, you can look at the board. Hmm? Yeah, he, there definitely is a sense in which he's caught. I'm just, what does he say next? Yeah. And, and not only does, does Jesus say to the church in Smyrna, I know what you're going through, but he actually says, like, you're doing well in the struggle. It at least is the inference here. And uh, if you want to read it, it's um, verse 9. Um, I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. But do not fear what you're about to suffer. The, the connotation here is that not only is Jesus personally involved in this church's struggle, not only does Jesus, he's not this airy-fairy guy who's just watching, but he, he intimately knows their struggle, their suffering, their poverty. But also, the church in Smyrna, in the face of these things, is holding firm. They're holding firm. Because Jesus doesn't go, I know what you're going through, but also you're not doing very good. No, he says, I know what you're going through, keep going. The inference there is that they're running well. They're, they're doing it well, even in the struggle. Okay, so Jesus writes three, sorry, not well, says to John to send to the message to the church in Smyrna, three particular areas that this church is, is struggling in, but is still going well in. What are those three areas? He lists them one after one. Verse nine, right at the beginning. He says three areas that he knows that they're going through. And that they're doing well in. 
Yeah. So, so they're doing well in their tribulation. They're doing well in their poverty. And they're doing well in their slander. Well, not, they're not being good slanderers. They're doing well as they are being slandered. Um, so, obviously, the church in Smyrna isn't just fighting a battle on one front. They're fighting a battle of three. The first term here, this idea of tribulation, is one uh, that we uh, don't really use so much um, in our modern vocabulary. But really, it's this idea of, of persecution. Suffering is, is probably the, the better um, counterpart. And, and the idea presented here um, was that likely the persecution that um, these Christians in Smyrna were suffering was because they would not be involved in the rituals of the imperial cult. Um, and not only would they not be involved in the rituals of the imperial cult, but obviously those Jews who were in power... Um, were also not only slandering them, but likely bringing the Roman Empire against them and creating greater tribulation for them. Yeah? When you became a believer in Jesus in the ancient world, especially in that first century bracket, it meant giving up everything. Like, I'm not even talking including this stuff. If, if you came in the ancient world to a church and you heard the gospel about Jesus Christ and you went, I want to believe in Jesus, it actually meant most of the time that you would be cutting ties with your family, you would be cutting ties with your culture, that you would be moving from the old to the new. There was already a lot of loss that these people in this church had experienced. And now they're also going through suffering and persecution and tribulation. And for us in the West, if we're being completely honest, we hear this and we go, bro, just throw in the towel. Like, like Jesus is great, but you've already struggled so much. Just, like, just give up. Most of us would have given up in the first phase, let alone the second bout. Like, these guys are losing their jobs they're losing their houses. They're being thrown into prison. As we read in passages to come, not in this story, but in the one to come, um, they are being murdered, martyred for their faith. Yet for some reason, they're not giving up. For some reason, they're sticking in there. For some reason, they're going strong. And the reason is because the gospel is better than life and is far greater than death. Like the only logical reason for these guys to keep doing what they're doing isn't because they're, they're, they're anarchists or, or masochists or whatever. It's because they, for some reason, see Jesus as being far more important than anything that they can currently suffer through or experience in this reality. Like they're willing to bleed for this, and they did. But not only did they bleed for this, but like we spoke about earlier, their poverty that is described here actually isn't because there were just a lot of poor people that came to believe in Jesus. If you actually read the way that at least this is phrased in that this poverty is put between tribulation and slander, this isn't just like, oh, you're also poor. This is the reason for your poverty is because of the tribulation and slander. Like it, it's a joint package deal. These weren't poor people who were now being persecuted and slandered. 
These were people who were now poor because of their persecution and because of the slander. And likely this is because they would not go to the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. They would not take their incense and pinch it and throw it in. They wouldn't betray Jesus. And so they lost their jobs and their houses. But Jesus doesn't stop. He doesn't just go, oh, and your poverty, and then continue on. He says, oh, yeah, and also you're poor, but you're actually rich. And for us, we're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. They've lost the house. They've lost their job. They've lost all their financial well-beings. How can they be rich? That is a complete and utter paradox. And, and the answer, at least that the word seems to present us, is because they are rich in the stuff that matters like Jesus himself describes in the book of Matthew in, 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 in um, chapter 6 in, w- in which he says, well, there's no point storing up things of this world because moths and thieves are going to steal and destroy it. Store up treasures in heaven. The church in Smyrna has lost everything, but they are rich, far wealthier than we can ever possibly imagine because they have got their priorities in check and they're chasing the right stuff. Yeah? So... Tribulation, poverty, now we get to slander. So, this is a bit of a pointy one, um, because Jesus doesn't mince his words here. Um, And I I, I need to put a connotation in here, because people have used this particular phrase for a whole bunch of anti-Semitic terms throughout history. So what Jesus here says is that this church in Smyrna has suffered slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Great use of um, uh, alliteration. Um, But what Jesus is saying here is he's not saying all Jews are a part of a synagogue of Satan, to clarify. He's not calling Jews Satan. Like, I'm genuinely being serious. There are people that don't like Jews because they think Jesus doesn't like Jews, even though Jesus was a Jew. Yes, try to get that through your head. Yeah? So, what he's saying here is he's, he's actually confronting the Jews in Smyrna. Because what, what at least is presented to us, and what we actually know from historical documents that aren't in the Bible, is that the Jews in Smyrna purposely went out of their way not only to distance themselves from Christians, but to throw them under the bus at every turn physically available to them. Remember how I talked about the, um, the imperial cult and that ritual in which they would take the little incense pinch and do it? There was one religion that did not have to do that in the ancient world, uh, in Rome at that time, the Jews. They had an exemption from, from the emperor himself because they were monotheistic. The emperor said, hey, you, you have to still pay us money, but we won't make you go into the temple, pinch and throw and say Caesar is Lord. And for a long time, the Jew, uh, sorry, the, the Christians came under that umbrella. Because the idea for the early Christian church and the idea that is still true today is that they were the extension of the Jewish faith. They were its completion come into reality. That Jesus was just a continuation of what had already come before. It was the fruition of what had come before. And so for them, it wasn't a matter of we're no longer Jewish. For them, it was we are the fruition of what is what it means to be Jewish. We are the fruition of Judaism. Uh, but the Jews obviously didn't like this. So what they did is they purposefully went out of their way to point out to the Romans, they're not us. They're not like us. They don't 
get the same joy and the same allowance of not having to go to the temple that we do because they don't believe in a monotheistic God. They believe in some guy called Jesus. They're not Jews. And they, w- they went out of their way to rally the people against the Christians. So the Christians were then given this option. You either bow to Caesar or you suffer the consequences. But then not only that, even more outside of that, just generally, they would bring the Romans against the Christians. We saw it very consistently in probably a few years earlier this in the, uh, in the reign of Emperor Nero, um, which some of you might know. The, the Jews were on Nero's side in terms of the persecution of the Christians. Hmm? It was not a good time to be a Christian. So again, he's saying that the people who are trying to throw the Christians under the, under the bus are a synagogue of Satan. He is not making a holistic statement about all Jews. Because again, Jesus was a Jew, Paul was a Jew, literally everyone but maybe two people who wrote a book in your Bible were all Jews. Like, the Bible doesn't hate Jews. The Bible was made by Jews. Um, just if at any point you get confused about that. John, yeah? John, uh, John, yes. If this is John, the disciple of Jesus, he would have been a Jew. Yeah. Um, Peter, um, likely, probably. Anyway, uh, we're not going to go down there. Um, but yes, so, again. He's not calling all people Jews, but he's saying these are the reason that these guys are the synagogue of Satan, because this is what they're doing. Um, And then he continues on, um, and he says, and and I love this bit, Jesus is like, oh yeah, I know you guys are suffering, but don't fear, because more suffering's coming. It's like this weird sort of um, turn of phrase, but in verse 10 he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful until death. I will give you the crown of life. There is a a, a lot in that um, quick section there. Um, This is actually a challenge. This is challenging them here, right? So, So Jesus is going, hey, Bad stuff is coming, hold firm. That sounds like a challenge. Every, everyone agree, yeah? yeah? Jesus is issuing them a challenge. What do you notice on our board? There's no condemnation. Of, of the seven messages given to the seven churches, the church in Smyrna is only one of two that avoids any mention of condemnation. Our prayer is that we're like Smyrna, in that when Christ looks at us, though we make mistakes, he has no condemnation to say about the church. Like, we want to be a church like this, oh, to be like the church of Smyrna, to embody Christ so completely that he has no correction for us. What a beautiful thing that would be. Yeah, so, the challenge the challenge. He issues them a challenge. He warns this church in Smyrna that they are about to go, uh, they are about to undergo persecution. However, this isn't just their usual everyday persecution. This is worse than usual. Um, This is persecution 2.0. 
Um, and they are about to experience uh, an intensity um, that they have not experienced yet. Um, likely this type of persecution was one that led to imprisonment and, and potentially death. Um, this isn't playtime. Um, and in the face of persecution, how does he call the church to respond? He calls them not to fear and to stand firm. The challenge for this church community is to remain faithless and faithful, to trust and obey in the face of trials. It's not an easy challenge to be given, especially after they've gone through so much. One thing I will highlight is that these 10 days of persecution weren't likely, start the timer, 10 days. Um, it was likely, this is a, a, a bit of a throwback um, to um, Daniel, the book of Daniel in the first chapter in which um, da Daniel and his friend undergoes uh, these 10 days um, of fasting and a bit of um, trial and tribulation there. Um, but also the number 10 is used pretty consistently throughout the book of Revelation to just mean like an allotment of time. Um, some people just argue that it is still 10 days and that's fine. But either way, it's going to get hard. And Jesus is telling them, stand firm and continue fighting on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, that's what some people also argue as well. It is a finite thing, that there is an end point. Um, and, and I think, that, yeah, there's, and this is one of those things where, where you can have a read, you can read the other stuff, you can read what other people think, and make up your own mind. Um, but, but I think, yeah, I think, Carrie, you're 100% right. The idea that he's presenting here is, is what I think, big red flags, is that like the people who have come before you, who have gone through periods like this of trial, stand firm and there will be an end that will come, um, even if that end is ultimately their own death. Um, but anyway, I, I think the noticeable, noticeable difference between the early church and many of us today is that when we hear this thought of remaining fearless and faithful in the, pay, uh, in the face of persecution, it is one that, that is really hard for us to, to grapple with. Um, not only is it one that is really, really hard for us to grapple with, it is one that makes no sense. Because for us, persecution and pain is a no-no. For us to experience anything other than joy and happiness in the Christian life is a... Nope. Our expectation, and, and for many Christians, their thought process is a good Christian life is a Christian life that is lived where you're happy and you're healthy and everything's going well. That just wasn't the case for the early church. The words that were being spoken to them here by Jesus would not have felt like this huge call to them, but simply it would have been a reminder of the call that they had already been given. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, persecution is coming. They did not like me, they will not like you. Throughout the writers in the New Testament, maybe the prime example being James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, in which it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let of steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, the apostles' mentality 
the church in Smyrna's mentality when it came to persecution was that it was a chance to be like Jesus. It was a chance for growth. It was a chance to test your mettle. It was a chance to go deeper. It wasn't something to avoid, but at the same time, it wasn't something to seek out. I'm not like giving everyone like a pitchfork and a map being like, go find persecution and experience it to be more like Jesus. No. And I think the Bible is very clear that we are not to run into persecution. We are to stand firm in it. There is a big difference there. But as one commentator put it, too often we see trials in a negative light or we assume that joy cannot exist in hardship Worse, we consider the hard times as God's curse upon us or his punishment for our sin. Rather, what, we, what they really are are opportunities to joyfully mature into Christ-likeness. Jesus suffered. And in the mentality of those who were in the early church, to suffer was to be like Christ. As as Paul himself would say it in some of his letters, look, if, if, if I am to die, it is gain because I get to go to heaven to be with Jesus. But if I am to continue living, it is Christ. Because I am living out his life even in my struggle and persecution while I am in chains. The Christian life isn't about it being easy. The Christian life isn't about it being nice and pretty. The Christian life isn't about getting through, clocking your card, going, oh, oh that was fun and then going to heaven for eternity. The Christian life is about experiencing the joy and the good news of the gospel and then living it out with Jesus day by day. And as everything hits the fan around you, you can continue to say, it is by joy that I continue to live because even though nothing is going my way, even though I am facing trials and tribulation, even though I have lost everything, even though I am being slandered from every possible corner, this is maturing me not only to be more like Christ, but I am still a part of Christ and my glory is already filled and assured in and through him. That is a hard message for us to get. Growing up, I was always told the phrase, when the going gets hard, the tough get going. Yeah? Yeah? don't think that phrase applies to the church as much anymore. Maybe more in the West. I think our brothers and sisters in places around the world are doing it tough. They're doing it like this. And they're getting going. Now, I'm not being like, oh, we should feel bad that we're in the West and life is easy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not doing a mad little guilt trip here. What I'm saying is the going is easy and we're not even going sometimes. <laughs> What happens when the going gets tough? And I think the reason that we're not going is because unlike the church in Smyrna, we have forgotten what we're going for. Or we've forgotten where we're going. What do I mean by that? Well, let's see how Jesus finishes off this letter. He finishes off this letter to the church in Smyrna by saying, Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 
And we're like, oh, that's weird. Second death, what does that even mean? The idea is, and what, 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 what Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna is he's saying, if you continue to abide in me, even if you die, you will live. As Christians, the end goal isn't doing it all right here. It isn't living the best life here. The end goal of Christians is to be close to Jesus, to know him, to abide in him, to be close to him, to learn from him, to be loved by him in a way that doesn't actually expect stuff from us, but that we are motivated to love and to live out that love for him. The gospel is this idea that Christ has given you everything and he's calling you into a warm embrace of life together. It's just that sometimes that embrace might cost us life itself. And what he is saying is he is saying, Smyrna, you might die. Like, let's be real, that's what he's saying here. The first death is a physical death. He's saying, hey, Smyrna, you might die die. It's a possibility. For many of our brothers and sisters around the world, it is a possibility. But what he is saying is, don't fear it. Because you need to keep in mind that death isn't the end of your story. It is simply a transition point. The God that you have fallen in love with the God who is so much greater than you could possibly imagine, Jesus, who died for you even though he had no need to, the Christ that suffered everything for you and simply asks you to believe in him through faith and come along on the journey. The one who has allowed you to avoid the first, uh, the, to avoid the second death, which is this idea of destruction and hell. The one who has made it possible for you to avoid the second death and simply embrace the life that comes after the first one. Keep that in mind as you struggle through it all. Because the crown of victory is yours if you abide in me. Remember, we spoke about this idea of last week when he says conquerors. He's not talking about us being conquerors because we are good at what we do. He's talking about the fact that we are conquerors because of what Christ has done. The conquering has already happened. We are now just running out our already conquered race. And if our conquest race finish line looks like a sword or a gun, then may we run just as quickly and with joy knowing that ultimately Christ is better, Christ is greater, and Christ is above all in all and throughout all. May this give us confidence and courage to march boldly towards Christ with love, grace and assurance. We don't struggle like the church in Smyrna does, but each of us face tricky situations. Each of us faces tribulation, poverty and slander in different ways. Maybe definitely in far lesser ways, but they are still ways, and it doesn't make them any less harder. And what Jesus is saying here, and what the whole book of Revelation, like we have talked about time and time and time and time and time again, is trying to do, it is trying to give us goggles through which we see our present reality, not just as pain and suffering, 
but simply as part of a story that ultimately leads to glory and with us reigning with Christ. He's going, yes, it is hard today, but stand firm and don't forget this. Yeah? I'll finish with this. Um, when I was younger, um, I used to run like a turtle um, in that um, I would run with my head really far out in front of me and I would just be looking at the ground. And, and often what would happen is I would either run into people, run off the track, or, or just completely lose my way because I was only focused on the two feet in front of me or I'd just fall flat on my face because my balance was completely off. I still sort of walk like a turtle if you look at me from a distance. Some of you are nodding way too vigorously there. And, and what, what, what someone once told me is they said, you need to stop running looking down because you're always going to lose your way. You need, to, you need to run with the goal in mind. You need to run with your face on the finish line. Because if you look down, you're going to get lost or you're going to eat it. But if you look up, you're going to know where you're going. You're going to see that line you're going to know what you're running towards. We have already run the race in Christ, but now we are just living out that reality. So run with your head up and be excited about what is to come, even if you might lose some skin along the way. Because ultimately, the glory of God is far greater than any skin you might lose. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to just, yeah, send you all off. Let's pray together. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your love and for your grace and for your glory. Um, we just want to thank you for churches like the church in Smyrna, um, a church that when you looked at them, you saw only to say the things that they are doing well and to issue them challenges to keep moving forward, Lord. And we. Mm-hmm.